I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence, and you're listening to the IBSI Views podcast. I'm joined today by Jamie Burke, who is the founder and chief executive officer of Outlier Ventures, a venture fund dedicated to blockchain and Web3. What's the future of blockchain looking like at the moment after the crypto crash? One of several crashes, right? So I always say zoom out, and the trajectory generally is, is up. And the kind of maturity of the technology stack is improving. Every other week, there are new protocols that are maturing, that are hardening as networks. And we're seeing an increasingly diverse range of applications happening on top. And I would argue that what's happened in 2021 with NFTs, they've had a crossover moment. So, you know, I think... Markets were down, what, at one point, 75 80%, depending on your portfolio. They've recovered by 40 50%, at least ours has. So, you know, these are just the trials and tribulations of crypto. It was a timely correction, you know, because of the hype, a lot of hype around NFTs. The markets, as they always do, get a little bit ahead of themselves. So I think where we've settled now, which is roughly 40% haircut, is about right. But again, you know, we we continue to be very active, whether it's a bull market or a bear market. We've been doing it for you know near eight years now. And and so we always zoom out and, and see the general direction of travel. And with that, we're we're still as, if not more, optimistic than ever. Would you say that what happened earlier this year in terms of the valuations in the crypto market was actually necessary because there was an awful lot of fluff in the marketplace, an awful lot of what we might call non-serious activity. What would you define non-serious activity as? Well, I wouldn't dismiss anything other than outright fraudulent activity that happens in the crypto space, either now or, or even going back to 2017. So I know a lot of people thought 2017-18 was this huge misallocation of capital or or at least a really inefficient, ineffective allocation of capital. You know, I would argue that the output of that, the byproduct of that, was that we ended up with what we have today, which is a very mature open source set of open source protocols that I don't believe would have existed hadn't it been for the ICO. Open source technology generally doesn't attract a lot of private capital. And so we now have this mature stack, which prioritize these kind of key principles of Web3, sovereignty of identity, data, and wealth. Now, that could have only happened uh, as a consequence of 1718. And so again, I, I look at what's happening now in, in wider crypto. Now, ultimately, this is permissionless innovation. That's what it looks like. It's messy. There are a lot of failed attempts but I, I don't think we should stop experimenting because the probability of failure is, is high. I actually would argue it's no higher than in classic startup world and equity. 90% of startups fail. Um, the only difference is when equity startups fail, all is lost. All know-hows lost, all codes lost. I mean, it, it really is an inefficient way to finance innovation. Here, because technologies are generally open source, or at least the learnings are in an open environment, whether it's code, learnings, or or, or something else can be carried over into the next cycle of innovation. So I would argue it's much more efficient, effective, and therefore I, I wouldn't dismiss much that happens in it. 
Okay, let's move on. You did mention them yourself, NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Obviously, what's hit the headlines are perhaps the more frivolous idea of art and collectibles, but there is something very serious going on here. It is actually going to bring the blockchain into the mainstream, isn't it? You know, look, the introduction of NFTs into popular culture, and I would argue that that has happened effectively this year, and the range of use cases that that's now being applied to has really introduced an increasing amount of people to the idea of digital scarcity. You know, where perhaps when you're talking about currency and cryptocurrency and you've got to go to an exchange and you've got to understand the token economics of a protocol, you know, there's only a small group of people that are ever going to A, be interested in that, B, be able to kind of execute on engaging with it, investing in it. Here, we've now taken that same underlying technology and applied it to use cases that people understand, you know, innately. So collecting things is, you know, arguably a very human behavior. And also, you know, we look around the web at the moment, our digital lives at the moment, and we see all of this value that's being created that is currently trapped in platforms, whether it's social media, whether you expand that out and you call it the creator economy. However you look at it, we, we know that there's a huge amount of digital value being created, but we aren't participating in it. And so I think the idea that you can kind of atomize creative output, digital creative output, and that can then be increasingly borrowed and lent against. It can become collateral in DeFi. So, you know, you're seeing villages famously now with Axie Infinity, which is a play-to-earn game. You're seeing villages in the Philippines who during COVID needed an income and began playing blockchain games and, and earning, deriving an income from it. They didn't care about crypto. They didn't care about blockchain. They didn't care about much other than um, getting through the week and, and paying bills. But they ended up with this weird crypto stuff, and they had to find a way to translate that into fiat and, uh, and, and pay their bills. And so, you know, that through game and play, but ultimately work, introduced them to, to crypto and its principles and its technologies. And I think the same is now happening beyond gaming, but also across the creative economy, and, and we're seeing applications in music. Of course, art, as you said, was the one that kind of took the headlines, but that now trickles down to, I guess, more low value, high volume use cases. And it doesn't stop there, right? So on the one hand, I, I always refer to NFTs as a social media. They are a social media without a platform in the way that you know Bitcoin is internet money without a bank. And so if you think about atomized socialness on the internet and the idea that Somehow that could have a value, it could be transferable, it could have provenance, it could be collateralized, financialized. You're basically looking at an unbundling of the web as it is today, but you're looking at entirely new use cases that one might classify as the metaverse that haven't yet been possible, at least not at scale. So I think it is, it's the gateway drug, you know, NFTs are the gateway drug to, to, to crypto. I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing. I want to spell out, and, and I try to do this with a lot of people, cryptocurrency is not blockchain. Blockchain is not cryptocurrency. They are actually two different things, although they are inextricably linked in people's minds. What are the investment opportunities in the blockchain space specifically? I mean, crudely, you know, there's, there's perhaps three ways of looking at it. So on the one hand, you can still invest in equity-based 
startups and businesses like Coinbase, for example, who are effectively acting as bridges between CFI and DeFi, between CFI and, and the regulated either retail or institutional world of finance and crypto. And I would argue we should expand the way that we think of crypto as the metaverse and maybe get, get to explain that a little bit later. And, you know, that's kind of classic venture, classic equity, and, and maybe they'll have an IPO. And there's still going to be plenty of that, right? Um, picks and shovels and all that kind of stuff. You then have two other ways to invest. One is through fungible tokens, which effectively could be thought of as not currencies, although there could be a currency, the function of currency in, in them, but more as digital commodities, right? So you can think of these new digital supply chains where networks are optimized to provide a particular function. So Bitcoin's optimized to have a high degree of security and censorship resistance in the use case of gold or a money or whatever you want to call it. It's not very good at much else. Ethereum is, you know, general purpose and, and that's been its, its strength, but ultimately, and, and weakness, but ultimately that's around computing computation um, to run these little applications which we call dApps. But we're starting to see increasingly a growing number of both generalized and specialized protocols that are optimizing for a particular game that a network can play. And that game is underpinned by these digital commodities. You know, you need these digital commodities to participate in that um, supply chain or value chain. And so it's no surprise, you know, there's a lot of similar language like mining and various other things, gas, you know, the, the analogous to the idea that you need things to fuel these networks. And these things are, are incentives. They incentivize people to participate, to perform a function in that network. So, so you've got classic equity, you've got digital commodities. And then the third thing are around NFTs. And again, the best way to think of these things are where, you know, uniqueness and provenance are important. So obviously in a fungible use case, you don't really care much which, which Bitcoin it is. Um, whilst um, with an NFT, you know, you very much care about its uniqueness, which could be as simple as a, you know, number one in an addition of fifty, or, or something more more complex than that. And this is being extended to any number of use cases, well beyond you know what you might regard as a commodity. As I said, that could be a form of collectible. It could be an in-game item, a skin. It could be a piece of art. It could increasingly be a ticket. You know, it could be a loyalty point that is being rewarded for positive participation within a system or CRM kind of platform. So you, we're going to see much greater variety of use case coming through NFTs. And so you can participate in any three of those. Obviously, NFTs, because of the range or the spectrum of use case, are very difficult to bundle as a single type of category or asset. But you would think about them differently primarily because they have less liquidity than a fungible token because of their uniqueness. This is about a lot more than banking as we used to know it, though, isn't it? You could, and I have heard the argument made, and it's difficult to disagree with it, that all of this is fintech, one way or the other, right? Because whether it's very explicitly a currency or, or, or something else, or whether it's borrowing and lending in DeFi, what we've really created over the last decade with what I often refer to as Web3 because of the application beyond what, what you might just consider as crypto and cryptocurrency 
is this proto-capital market. It's this emergent proto-capital market. You know, we're adding in layers of functionality. You needed the stable coin before you could then begin to do borrowing and lending. Of course, some of the yields now in many DeFi protocols are not really linked to any true form of income. It's slightly um, circular, but in- increasingly we're starting to see new forms of collateral going into DeFi, in particular in a metaverse context. Um, so as I said, if you think about the billions of dollars of value that are currently trapped in gaming platforms, which are closed economies, entirely closed economies controlled by single corporations, we're going to begin to see these digital assets unlocked, like freed from platforms, and begin to become collateral in DeFi. And so we actually refer to a lot of this stuff as MetaFi. It's the idea that ultimately the web is becoming the metaverse, right? It's no longer something that is separate from physicalness and from reality. It becomes uh, indivisible, and virtual becomes the physical, and that allows for entirely new forms of virtual value to be created and increasingly collateralized in things like DeFi. So it's all one and the same thing. And I would argue what we're creating, and this, this might maybe be going too far for your listeners, but we are creating a meta economy. And I believe long term, all nation states will subordinate to it. On which note, I will say thank you very much, Jamie Burke, founder and chief executive officer of Outlier Ventures.